An inside and outside look at all things NASA. Very happy to be back in the studio. <laughs> You're giddy. I'm so happy to have four walls, a roof, bathroom, all that good stuff. It's great. Wait, to be like back. being in the desert for ten days? I no, no offense to the desert. At least anybody we have climate there. control here. You know, yes, some air conditioning. That's if I want my weight loss to be in a controlled environment, <laughs> not in a natural environment. Well, the the focus of today's uh, vodcast, we're actually covering the desert rats, which is part of an analog field test that NASA conducts each year, and that's the focus of the show. Analog, analog field? field test. Yes, absolutely. Which is a very interesting term in and of itself. Yeah, so what is analog field testing? Well, I'm glad you asked, uh, Chris, because I've come up with my own scaled down, really functional definition, and, and it is like this. Analog field test right. is... <laughs> no, I'm not even going to read oh, the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's where you use uh, non-digital technology, you go out into the field, and then you answer a series of very important questions for your project. <laughs> um, what? That, that, it's a, a low fidelity answer but it's it's one nonetheless no it's, it's no answer that oh, i came wow. up with that on my own hey, that was a great attempt but we had an opportunity to talk to uh, john olson the head of dio from nasa headquarters about what an analog field test really is well analog testing is using extreme environments here on the earth to test uh, the systems the architectures our concepts of operations it's a great opportunity to do training for not only astronauts and our scientists, but also the communications and the navigations and all the different elements that take to have a successful mission. Okay, that's not bad. I mean, I, I, but I got to tell you guys, I actually knew that I worked with John Olson on that. His delivery wasn't quite what we rehearsed, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, we worked together on but that. But John said he didn't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> Wall of deniability. Yeah, that's, wow. what, that's what happened. He set that up. And in fact, you know, the Desert Rats is just one of many analog field tests that NASA conducts each year. You know, this past year, they conducted two other analog field tests. One, actually, it's in the Arctic region of Canada in Devon Island called the Houghton Mars Project. And the focus of that analog field test was to conduct uh, simulated lunar exploration activities, including sample extraction, human research activities, and EVA tool development. Also in British Columbia, they did the Pavilion Lake Research Project, where they um, were setting out to test and develop research and exploration methods. So these extreme test environments are what NASA uses to uh, work out the exploration program. Yeah, because they, because we don't have them at the field centers. You know, we don't have Fair that enough. terrain that's analogous to the lunar environment or to the Martian environment. So we have to do these uh, these tests in remote locations. And, and just a shout out to all those guys, because if, if those are uh, environments or anything like the extreme conditions of the Black Point lava flow, uh, my hat's off to them because it was definitely extreme. And it's not only above ground, like with Pavilion Lake, it was it was below ground. It was in the in the in the ocean. In the oh, waters. underwater. Yeah, and in fact, we do have analog field tests in the Antarctic region and the Arctic region, as well as underwater by the coast of Florida, which is an EMA project. Before we take a break, if you want to learn more about analog field testing at NASA, just go to the website, and we have a whole slew of analog field tests that NASA's conducted over the past three, four years. Also, some tests in Hawaii as well. And if you're feeling really ambitious, take uh, your laptop to an extreme environment and look up that website and, and, and try that. And believe me, it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> it is in there. It's in there, and it's going to be in our show. So we've got hey, a lot of stuff You're watching NASA Edge. And inside NASA, I look at all things NASA. And when we come back, hopefully, uh, we'll get gain a little sanity and we'll be able to unpack all this stuff. 
Well, I, that's, I gotta tell you, seeing that footage again of the desert rats just puts me right back into the heat and the thick of things out there in Arizona. Oh, we had such an, an awesome time out there for 10 days. The mission itself, the Lunar Electric Rover, the LER mission, was a 14-day mission where we had astronaut Mike Gernhardt and geologist Brent Gary living inside LER-1 for 14 days. And in fact, Franklin, I was kind of envious because you actually had a chance to, you and Ron, go out with them each day to film them and, and shoot video and, and still pictures and kind of just be right there on the scene. Pretty interesting. Uh, from day one, Ron and I uh, uh, went out with the rest of the team and it actually took like 45 minutes, almost an hour to get out in the field across the terrain to where the guys were in LER. And uh, when we got there, we kind of followed them as they went through their day-to-day -day activities, doing EVAs, um, taking rock samples and, and basically doing the same things they would if they were on the moon. And it was a, a really interesting experience. Uh, even though you were in close proximity of the LER and the two astronauts, or astronauts slash geologists, supposed geologists, uh, you were not supposed to interact with them. It was a communication lockdown, but I think I saw one of the guys uh, eyeballing my Snickers bar when I broke it out. They were just like, uh, can I get rid of that Snickers bar? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was very difficult for them uh, to yeah. be sure. But the cool thing about this, not only was it LER that we saw? Correct. I mean, we saw other uh, uh, robotic vehicles as well. We saw Athlete. a triathlete. We also had Chariot B, which was the improved chassis that LER was on. We actually had a chance to see not only LER dock with triathlete, but LER actually rescue two other people in another LER. Tell you what, let's take a look at some of the footage and interviews that sure. we gathered while we were out there in the field. Okay. So, Lucian, do you need a uh, special uh, driver's license or permit for this? No. No? We got a lot of people driving this. Oh, here. really? So, after hey, tell me you're crazy man driving After this, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who gets all the all these assignments. Okay. Each year we're building, it's a, it's kind of a test build-up approach. Now we've added science backroom right. uh, planning, we've, we're rolling in education and public outreach. What is the Challenger Learning Center? Well, the Challenger Learning Center is actually a network of educational organizations. It's a, we have a big umbrella organization. We have 50 or so learning centers uh, scattered across the United States where students can go in. We have a mission control. They can do simulations of missions and so forth. But mostly it's an educational organization focusing on STEM topics. You're very intense right now. You're, really, you're concentrating. I mean, is this going to be a difficult task getting over these rocks? My teammates don't necessarily like me going over this stuff, but it does prove the vehicle. <laughs> they don't like it when I start, right. but by the time we get to the end, it's good stuff. Your latest incarnation, if you will, of athlete. That's right. We decided the first one wasn't big enough, so we went bigger. But was there an intentional intentionality behind making it so ominous looking? Because I get <laughs> scared when I see it. Well, it's actually a half-scale model. And the one yeah. we'll send to the moon is twice as big in every dimension. What are some of the major differences between this version of athlete and the old, the former version of athlete? This version is splits into two triathletes. So that means that we've got our hexagonal vehicle, right, with our six legs on it, the same as we did before. But now we can actually split that. Okay. So it splits into two triangular vehicles, each of which has three legs okay. and operates as its own independent robot. And in the middle, the third piece is a cargo pallet, which would carry all of the power equipment, um, solar cells for power generation, um, that would charge the triathletes and also be able to charge the LERs if they wanted to come over and dock with us. How did it interact with the other desert rats uh, sort of vehicles and things Well, we like had that? actually a lot of interactive stuff with LER this year. The first thing that we did was we actually trained to drive the athlete. And so they actually had a control station from inside the LER where they commanded the athlete vehicle. So has it been a success so far this week? This has been a huge success. I mean, considering that this vehicle, when we had brought it here, was 
all of two weeks old from final assembly, right? Wow. So we've been working out a little kinks in the field here and there, but we have been able to meet every single milestone we came out here to do. Our biggest milestone is what you're seeing right now, demonstrating a half-scale unloading of cargo from a mock-up Altair. Wow. You're doing a much better job than yesterday, I gotta tell you that much. Notice there are a lot of geologists out here this year. Um, why? Well, what did the geologists add to the testing? Well, you know, science is, is one of our key, uh, key objectives as we're looking at missions. And so uh, by bringing in the field geologists and, and doing real-time field geology ops, we're basically reconstituting an art and a science, because it's a little bit of both, that we haven't had robustly since we went to the moon 40 years ago. We're here with Dr. Jim Rice from Arizona State University. He is one of many geologists out here at the analog uh, field test here at the Black Point Lava Flow. Dr. Rice, tell us a little something about basalt. Well, basalt is this black rock you see here. That's why it's called Black Point Lava Flow. Mm -hmm. And basalt is a volcanic rock that was extruded by a volcano. And uh, the reason it's got this dark color is it's made of these minerals, primarily iron and magnesium, to give it a dark color. And uh, you can see here, even this chunk here, these little pits or cavities in here. These are called vesicles, and these were formed when the rock was molten, and there was a lot of gas charged in here, and when the gas started coming out and cooling, it left behind these uh, pits. So this is a you know, very great analog for the moon. The moon is mostly basalt. The, the type of exploration that has taken place here uh, over the past couple of weeks, is that the same type of uh, uh, projects and exploration that will take place on the moon when we return? For this exercise, I mean, the way we conduct the geology with uh, the science uh, operations room and the crew in the LER, we want to see what the crew is seeing. They're also describing it to us. It would give us details of the rock um, to see like these vesicles or minerals in there. And you can see how big it really is. And we had like a scale bar they would use that would show the color chart and to give the dimensions of the rock. And we're trying to learn with this uh, exercise, it's, you know, since technology has advanced the last 40 years, how to incorporate that in the field. Dr. Rice, thank you very much. Thank you, my All pleasure. Right. Applaud uh, Franklin on your interview with Dr. Rice. And he just gave me the, the 411 on what the geologists uh, were in the field, what they were trying to do, and what geology meant to return to the moon. It was very interesting to talk to him. Well, I'll tell you what, we happen to have Dr. Brent Gary on the phone, Uber Do geologist. Doctor. I, I, I'm, I don't know what he is. I'm not even sure this is Brent, but Brent, are you there? I'm here, guys. How are you guys doing? Uh, do, doing great now. Uber uh, geologist. I kind of like that. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I'm I, I'm still waiting uh, on some verification on that, but uh, it's good to have you on the show and, and find out what life was like uh, for 14 days on the LER. How did you land a gig uh, being involved with astronaut Mike Gernhart on this 14-day uh, mission? It was a uh, tough task of finding the right chocolate bar with the golden ticket in it because it was definitely <laughs> one of those uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. But um, uh, I was part of the crew for the three-day mission during the Desert Rat Field Test in 2008. Uh, I was involved as part of the science team, as one of the geologists on the science team that helped plan the traverses for last year's missions. And That's then cool. put my name in the hat again for the 14-day, and Mike and I worked well as a team. and. We both wanted the challenge of, you know, really putting the LER through its paces for two weeks. So it was definitely a great opportunity and, you know, kind of a field of dreams type uh, scenario out there for me. Well, I, this is this is exactly the kind of thing we wanted to hear about your trip. We need to take a quick break. Do, do you mind hanging on the line, Brent? Yeah, no, I don't mind. All right, cool. great. You're watching NASA Edge. And inside NASA, I look at all things NASA. Yeah, okay, now.
I think he's going to want to see a license and registration. Well, we don't have a license and registration for a test article. Well, look at see if we can find something. Maybe we can find Mike Gernhardt's thesis for this system. Oh no, here he comes. Oh, let me do the talking. Hello, officer. Sir, do you know how fast you were going? Sierra 3 dispatch, I've got a runner. Looks like they're gonna make a left on 5th Street. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have used the co-host as your character witness. Well, you're certainly right about that. Come on, let's get this place cleaned up. You bet. I tend to think of myself as a one, as a one-man wolf pack. Well, that's Brent Geary, geologist or supposed geologist from the Smithsonian Institute, who is still on the line with us. Uh, thanks so much, Brent, for the interview. Hey, no problem, no problem. What was the primary objective? Was it more science-oriented in terms of looking at the geology of the rocks, or was it looking at the science operations? Primary focus was uh, definitely the science operations side of things. I mean, we haven't. Uh, been back to the moon in over 40 years. You know, this new generation is relearning how do we study the geology and the science of another planetary body, you know, using the spacesuits, the tools, and the vehicles. So we're definitely out there for the, the science operation side of things. But we did build in a lot of true science objectives as we would on a real mission. And we were trying to figure out what was going on geologically with the area did you do any any uh, prep work in terms of the region, or what was your approach uh, going out to the desert? I mean, trying to simulate lunar conditions. I wanted to go in blind about the geology. We had members of the science team are, who are familiar with the area, but I personally did not want to know the story. But all our planning was done by the science team, just using a um, you know satellite image, remote sensing image of the area. So I, I wanted to go into it fairly blind, though, not knowing the whole story already. And Talking about going in blind, I think you have something special for Brent. I do. Uh, this is sort of my own uh, science uh, operations uh, uh, test. Oh what, what I'd like to do is ask you a, a series of questions about Mike. Okay. We'll start with the first question. How often did Mike Earnhardt brush his teeth? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. We had these sweep stations down, so... I couldn't see beyond, behind the curtain. And he seemed to indicate that he thought you were more observant. Yeah, I was looking at the rocks and the sunset. I wasn't paying attention to his hygiene. <laughs> Hopefully at least once. I would say at least once a day. So I brush my teeth twice a day, once in the morning and once again at night. Uh, what was astronaut Mike Gernhardt's favorite meal? See, he had a couple. I know he loved, he loved the spaghetti and meatballs. He loved the lasagna. And he loved, like, this beef chili mac one. An Italian person, huh? Okay. Yeah. So, so it, uh, it was one of those three I, I've been pretty, sh uh, pretty sure. My favorite meal would be uh, probably chili mac or the spaghetti and meat sauce. Pretty good, Brent. So, uh, yeah, so, you, go. so you, gave, you gave, actually gave three, but uh, mm -hmm. two were included. So you gave two, okay. Very good. That's, that's a point for you. How many times did uh, Mr. Astronaut Mike Gernhardt shave? I know he shaved daily. I remember we talked about that. I myself would probably go every three days. He shaved <laughs> Typical daily. geologist behavior. Oh, the geologist. I mean, you got to come close. home with a nice little, you know, scruff. I, I shave uh, once a day, every day in the morning. What about uh, favorite movie during the mission? His favorite movie during the mission was uh, Boondock Saints. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess I would have to say uh, Boondock Saints. That was a great movie that, that Brent brought. This is, now, this is a little more serious question, okay? Um, okay. 
uh, during your rescue mission out there in the desert, if you could only have rescued one of the two astronauts or simulated <laughs> astronauts, which one would you rescue? What do you think Mike Gernhardt's response would be? It's a trick question, and he would have done a self-sacrifice thing. And he would have put Zane Andrew in the LER with me, and he would stay behind himself. Oh, that's not a fair question. Um, I wouldn't accept anything less than getting them both. Now, um, one final question, uh, boxers or briefs? I'm guessing briefs. They gave us briefs, so we had no choice uh, in the matter. Well, Brent, that was a lot of great information you provided us, and uh, we're just so thrilled for you for having that opportunity to be in LER for 14 days, and we look forward to, uh, to next year with you. And submit to the game. Thanks. Do I get any prizes, though? I mean, do I get my NASA Edge polo shirt? Oh, wow. wow. Uh, well, we'll have to talk to Franklin we'll about that about one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a gatekeeper to polo shirts. <laughs> right. Well, he is a gatekeeper. Thanks, guys. It was my pleasure, and thanks for all your support with uh, Desert Rouch over the years. So. Look forward to seeing you guys again out there next year. Well, you're welcome. So we had a fun time. We love it. And you had an opportunity also while we were out there to talk to astronaut Mike Gernhardt. Yes. Inside the LER. Absolutely. Uh, This is post-mission, so you didn't violate any of the the science involved there. Correct. This was after the mission was over. And then also, as we were coming back, you let me drive the LER. Oh, man. How was your parallel parking? (laughs) Hey, I parallel park that better than I do my car. Let's take a quick break. Absolutely. When we come back, we'll find out what uh, Mike has to say about the 14-day mission in the LER. Hey, you're watching NASA Edge. An inside look. An outside look. (laughs) (laughs) An inside and outside look at all things NASA. The co-host saves the day. So, Mike, first thing I noticed when I stepped in here and sat down, that the display screen is different from last year. Tell me about the improvements. Yeah, one of the things we found last year, we had a touch screen, and it was on an arm that moved around. And so when you're vibrating, you never quite touch what you wanted. So we've gone to new software with edge keys. You can actually react your hand against the monitor and push the edge key, so it's much better in the high vibration environment. And then we've also added a a very sophisticated navigational support. Um, display where you can see where we are, which is the the arrow, right? And then these are the nap points we're going to. But the okay. co-pilot, if we wanted to skip this next nap point, right? You can scroll down and load 2A instead of 2B, and, oh, the, and, gotcha. the, and it tells you your distance to the next nap point. So you can modify your flight plan on the roll. Um, we've got a much better camera display, and that helps you drive in the we have to go in reverse or it, picking it, up the pup. Exactly. Right. Okay, the pup adds additional consumables and it has a solar array to recharge this vehicle. So we're normally set here for three days with no pup. But if we want to extend it to 14 days, we have to dock with the pup like every three days and recharge the batteries. Now tell me about the 14 day mission. How was it? Um, You know, the first adjective I would use to describe it was fun. It was really fun and it was really high fidelity with respect to all the details that we have on the moon. We have Mitch control flight plans, flight rules, real geology. And then of course we have the automated suit ports where we actually have actuation, uh, electromechanical actuation that opens the hatches right. and then we have an aft display that we can toggle the leak checks and the vestibule depress and things like that. You know, after two weeks, I was ready for two more weeks. Well, just like any, uh, just like a real mission, you had you had your food on board. Yep. You had your your facilities when you had to use the restroom. Yep. Right. Suit ports in the back. I mean, it was you're self sufficient. Yeah. yeah, we're absolutely self sufficient. And in fact, one of the things we were investigating was how well we would perform and what our productivity would be with no calm. Right. And we've collected the data, we haven't analyzed it yet, but my impression is that we performed every bit as well with no calm as we did with full calm. 
heard you uh, say a little bit earlier that you exercised every day. Yeah, we did. So how many how many hours did you did you exercise? We did a, a minimum of an hour a day, okay. and the ergometer sets up in the aisle there, and it worked great, and it was a good stress reliever. It also has resistive exercise. We had bungee cords and so forth, and I think that was a key part of of keeping an even keel on the habitability throughout the time. See, now when you look at next gen, what do you what do you envision as the next round for the... And we're going to do a brand new integrated design between the mobility chassis and the cabin. Uh, we actually came up with this idea of the small pressurized rover um, after the chassis had already been designed. And so we had to fit the two together and it worked remarkably well. But Gen 2, we're probably going to head to a more elliptical shape, uh, which will give us more width and more storage area. Uh, we're actually going to build that as a pressure vessel. This is like NASCAR technology. We have a welded tubular frame with skins on the outside, right. and it serves the purpose of the Gen 1. But as we move to Generation 2 and then Generation 3, it'll become increasingly more flight-like. Okay, the, uh, the host of NASA Edge is about to drive the LER, and uh, we have a great teacher and astronaut, Mike Gernhardt, and this is behind us, right? It is. Okay, so we just go forward. So max power is 84%, if I'm looking at it right. I can bump your rates up. Okay. And now you're 100% but you're in low gear, so that's okay. uh, 3.6 kilometer right. top speed. So if I want to just turn, I just... Just twist it? Twist it. Oh, nice. Mike, this is so cool. I mean, I, I just think uh, you must be like a kid in a candy store driving this thing, being in it for 14 days and, and doing experiments yeah. for NASA. Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, it's the closest thing to a lunar mission here on Earth, and um, as I've said before, I sincerely want to be the first one to run this on the moon uh, and if I don't make that if the program gets delayed at least all the work we're doing will make it better for those who go I'm officially jealous I mean I'm trying to be a media not I want to go into space you've actually driven the LER you're that much further than I am on my path to get to the moon I drove on the Autobahn <laughs> 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 I, forget, forget all hey. that for a second. I can't believe we have so much stuff that we haven't even gotten to in this show on the Desert Rats and these analog tests. I, I, I feel incomplete. I think you're right. I mean, I, we're out of time for this particular vodcast. Uh, yeah, this, this, this show is jam-packed. It's jammed in there. Yeah, it's jammed in <laughs> there. You cannot miss it. There's we, too much. Too much. We'll call this part one. Yep, and Lucian hasn't even gotten over the hill yet. That's right. We haven't figured out if he's made it yet. So we'll, we'll come back for part two. Want to do that? Let's do that. Let's do it. All right, you're watching NASA Edge. An inside and outside look at all things NASA. How'd you say it? It's in there. <laughs> <laughs> too much.